With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the June 9th edition of the PFF Forecast. This has been an episode long in the making, and it is a great episode. It exceeded even our expectations. This is the NFC South uh, preview, redux, saga, recap, whatever you want to call it. And we've got Charles McDonald at Four Verts. If you know him on Twitter, he joined us. It was an awesome conversation. He was super generous with his time. It was fantastic. He has a great recommendation, I might add, at the end of this. But we talk about everything. Julio, the Bucks, uh, more Falcons. Um, it, it, honestly, Byron Leftwich, offensive play callers, it has it all. Uh, so let's rock. Good evening, everybody. Um, I, I'm Eric, by the way, and I'm normally not the person to start this off, but I do want to introduce the two-time Emmy-winning producer of Sunday Night Football, one of the producers of Sunday Night Football, George Shahuri. I think it's really interesting because you and I, the podcast is like job number X for all of for the two of us. And this is mostly like two friends riffing about football and we've made it, you know, we've made it such that everybody thinks it's our only job. But it really, when when you think about all the stuff you're responsible for, all the stuff, all the people that you lead, I'm I'm overjoyed that you get this recognition. And I'm proud of you. And I, I said this in the chat, you didn't win it last year and the world almost fell apart. And I'm not saying that's correlated, but I'm also not not saying it's correlated. George, congratulations, buddy. I, I don't, uh, I don't like to get, you know, embarrassed, um, or blush you or, are red you know, right or, now. Although or tearful. we both had some sun this week, but I think this is additional to that. Yeah. It's also like 85 in here. Cause I, I closed all the windows, but, um, I, I appreciate that. I got to say a couple of shout outs. First off, I am like the 9 millionth person on this list of like 20 people. Um, it's really riding the coattails of Chris and Al and the guy that we have on this podcast yearly, we'll have to have him back soon. 23 times. Emmy Award winner, Fred Gadelli, who uh, is the best at what he does by like miles. And it was funny. I sent Fred, uh, you know, congratulations, because he's really the one I, I do, you know, such so, so many small things relative to him. And you know what he was doing last night? He was preparing for the Super Bowl. 
because it's going to be an NBC Super Bowl. Uh, and that's where his head is at. That's how greatness works, Eric. I also got to, I got to say this, I got to give you a shout out because we've worked together for a while and um, you have always been so supportive of that work that I do. You know that I enjoy it. You come and support that endeavor every Sunday evening. And you also have done a ton of work on research and development at PFF so that I could do that. So um, the appreciation, my man, it's uh, it goes both ways. So the reward for me for is getting to sit and listen to you or watch you do that job on Sunday night. And mostly like you have, you know, there are a bunch of people that work for you on that. And, you know, I'm, I've since graduated to the making fun of uh, some of the things yes. that Al says during commercials and, and, uh, and live betting the game. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so great. And I, I think one of the testaments, obviously we've had Steve on here as well, the work that you've done with broadcasts, you know, not only NBC, but we've extended it to other broadcasts and stuff too. Um, you know, that's why, how we get the Sunday night stuff with Cornette, being able to deliver there. And again, like I said, like, this is one of a number of different hats that you wear, but you wear it ter terrifically. And again, something where, uh, it just is a cool testament to, what we at PFF have been have done and why this is you know the coolest job in the world and and why it's so much fun to just kind of get to hang out with you and 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 you know enjoy enjoy your friend's success you know like that I, I would made, made me when I found I found out last night at what like midnight I'm like I can't tweet it out so it, it gave me great joy to 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 uh give you a tribute this morning so I appreciate that I have to shout out uh from PFF Ben Lindsay who does a ton of work on that who is a a burgeoning superstar. If you don't follow him, you should. Anthony Trash, who also helps out with that. I promise you, I did not let him talk about Tyreek Hill and any of the packets. Um, and the data collection force at PFF, in particular, Ben Stockwell, who always helps me out with tricky problems for um, Sunday night and is, a, he's the fucking man. I don't need to say anything else. Speaking of the fucking man, Charles McDonald is with us. Uh, you can, you've probably skipped ahead to this part because someone in the comments has said like, these two guys just suck each other off for X minutes. Um, this is a great conversation. So you get rewarded at the end. The payoff is here. Charles McDonald. We are really excited to have after a long time, because we wanted to time this up right. We wanted to have the, the perfect person on to digest the NFC South, the Julio Jones saga, someone that understands the Atlanta situation, someone who understands the NFL as well as just about anybody. Charles McDonald, senior writer at For the Win, host of the Counter Podcast with Stephen Ruiz. Um, you are both an excellent follow on Twitter, as anyone who will uh, who follows you can <laughs> attest, um, regardless of whether you're a Falcons fan or not. So thanks for hanging out with us, man. How How is everything going? You've got the Hawks, you've got the Falcons, a lot of emotions for you, man. You know, it'd be fun if I was actually a Hawks fan, but I'm not. I'm a I'm a Hornets fan. Like so oh. that started. I know. The, so when I was in fifth grade, uh, we lived in Charlotte, and I was working for like a little middle school newspaper. And the first, the first uh, athlete that we ever interviewed for it was Mecca Okafor after he won Rookie wow. of the Year. So I was like, I'll, I'll just I'll just make this my team. Like I'll watch them. And that was a mistake, but. Uh, yeah, this week's been awful uh, with the Julio stuff. Uh, I just still am wrapping my mind around like what a Falcons team looks like without him on the field. And, you know, I guess just with how quickly all this seemed to accelerate, like since the draft, it was been kind of a whiplash, but he's gone and I'm still trying to 
get my excitement up for the coming season. <laughs> you, Charles, as, as a Falcons fan, I mean, we've been taught, we've talked about them forever because George and I started the show in January of 2018. And like, that was like, you know, right around they lost to the Eagles. And then, you know, they had the six and two finish to 2019. And like, I feel like the franchise has never grappled with the fact that they had a real good chance of winning a Super Bowl and it didn't happen and it's not happening. And this is finally like the first admission that we, the Falcons have to go into a new era of playing football. Is that kind of the, is that, is that the tough thing for you where it's like 2016 came, it was so much fun. And, you know, that game, like, they were so scary. I remember watching them in the NFC title game against Green Bay thinking, geez, no one's stopping this team. And then in 2017, they were frustrating, but ultimately still good. And then they've had bouts where you sort of see that. Even last season when they, like, beat Minnesota and, like, when they had a 17-0 lead to Tampa and something like that, you could see glimpses. But this is really – this trade really represents, like, it's – it's time to move on. It's time to usher in a new era of Falcons football. And that really hasn't happened. Maybe Mike Smith getting fired, but really it's it's back to like the whole Vic to Matt Ryan sort of transition. Is that why this is sort of has you kind of in a, in a, in a, a malaise here? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of sad in a way. Like for me, this is the, even though I grew up like a huge Michael Vick fan, like this is the, I guess era of Falcons football that I found myself like most emotionally attached to just because, you know, like, like growing up, coming young man, like, I don't know, just it's, it's sappy crap, but uh, you know, you, you kind of grow up watching these guys. Like I was talking to somebody else the other day, like I can't believe like Matt Ryan could retire right now. And I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, you know, 36 years old, he's put his time in the game. And like, I, I remember, I remember exactly where I was sitting where he got drafted and it's just like, wow, like this is, uh this is a lot but i mean just to to put it from arthur blank's perspective like that that 2007 season was so awful i mean you lost vic to prison by petrino quits basically in the middle of the night just leaves a note and says peace uh i'll see you guys never uh and the quarterback situation was so bad i mean we were talking about byron leftridge before we came on he was one of the quarterbacks for that 2000 season 2007 season i remember literally watching him throw a ball into the stands uh, during a red zone trip. So, you know, you come out of that season, you get Matt Ryan and you, like your first quarterback selection after Vic is an absolute hit and you've been relevant for, you know, almost the last 15 years. And I can imagine from Arthur Blank's situation, like that's gotta be hard to let go of. And especially after you lose the Super Bowl, come back, like you're really one or two plays away from getting back to the NFC championship game the next season yeah. And since then, it's just been steadily downhill. And, you know, it, it's just kind of time to pull the plug. And, you know, in a in a vacuum, like trading Julio Jones hurts, but like, you can you can make sense of it, like for where the Falcons are right now. Like, I don't think this team is close to going on a playoff run, but to still kind of be like one foot in, one foot out with Matt Ryan still on the roster and restructuring him, kind of guaranteeing that he'll be here next year too. I mean, it just kind of seems like they want to start over, but they don't quite want to say goodbye to the, the their current girlfriend. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. I that was that was my take, especially right after it happened, knowing it was imminent as well. Like it felt to me like there was just a, a really incoherent or complete lack of process and thought of, and you can rationalize the trade in the moment, 
but at somewhere along the line, it went wrong. Like there were some real missteps along the way. If you dissect this and you go back in time, who are you blaming for this? Like who gets the biggest slice of blame pie for this kind of fucked situation? Uh, you know, I think I, I guess I give equal blame to Thomas Dimitrov and Arthur Blank. I, I think that they kind of get the, the fingers pointed at them because I think one thing that got kind of really messed up over the last few years, and like this has been a really bad like five year stretch, I guess, for the Falcons is they've bungled a lot of these free agent signings that uh, they tried to make, especially like in the past two years, like the. You know, going back to, I think, 2019 season, Dirk Carter's first year there, uh, or maybe it was Sark's last year there, where they gave a bunch of money to James Carpenter and Jamon Brown. Basically, they're just, and the, the logic behind it was so faulty. Like, well, we couldn't run the ball last year, so we'll sign some 340-pound guards and we'll be able to run the ball. Like, that's not quite how football works. Like, it's a little bit more uh, nuanced than that. And they kind of <laughs> had, like, these weird, you know, whole like totalian just approaches to how football should be run you know we can't run the ball so we'll sign big guards uh we need to get faster so we'll make like the smallest defensive line in front seven that we can possibly do and like just these swings and overcorrections in terms of their philosophy uh it just kind of got disjointed i think and they made some really bad personnel moves you know we already talked about carpenter brown the alan bailey contract was a mess uh you know desmond trufant like, I don't really consider that a mess, but, like, he's still on the books right now, and he's not even playing for the team. Uh, so, you know, when you get to the – you start looking at where these deals start to add up, and certainly, like, Dan Quinn. I mean, I, I think he's a great guy, and people swear by him. But, you know, that defense was never good, really. Like, I think 2017, they were respectable, and that was really just because they happened to be really good in the red zone. Like, they were still just getting torched up and down the field. So, uh you know, it, it's kind of a microcosm, like it, it's a, or not a microcosm, a combination of all those things. But I think when you look at the personnel moves that kind of got messed up in the past few years, I, I would put a lot of blame on Dimitrov and Arthur Blank for kind of having like a really simple view on how it's supposed to look. And then you swing, you miss, and you got fired. Well, and I, I think the other thing is just like it's unlucky too, right? Like yeah. you think about, you know, Keanu Neal, like even when they hit on picks – like the guys couldn't stay on the field and that's like not anybody's fault. Right. Like yeah. when, you know, Deion you Jones, true had to sit out for a long right. time. Deion Jones got hurt a couple of years. Keanu Neal, like never got on the field and he was like a really good, you know, that that 2016 Super Bowl was run was in large part because they hit on a lot of players in the draft, even guys like Campbell who are good picks if they're, if they're playing within the scope, of where they're supposed to be, but they go from linebacker two to linebacker one. And it's like, well, that's not really what the guy was intended to be. Right. And, and then, yeah. And then that's like the hard part. Like every, I feel like every bad unraveling in life is sort of like a bad luck thing that you double down on and then it just doesn't turn out right. And then I, you know, I come like George and I have gone back and forth about this. I commend the Falcons for sort of standing up to a lot of these things this off season and saying, okay, we do need to, make moves you could and i and i never brought this and i didn't realize that jordan told you the other day the 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 ryan restructure was like 10 days before the niners trade for pick three i wonder if they had gotten intel that the niners were going to trade up for somebody other than field would they have made the ryan restructure but the ryan restructures even happened at an unlucky time for them relative to when the niners traded so it's just 
And, and I think everybody with the Falcons wants to say, okay, what's the way out? And I think this year it's like, well, there isn't. Like behind every door, one, two, three, like it's just a bad outcome and they're going to try to make the best of it. And I still think, I mean, you say they might not compete this year. I think they have enough talent to compete in that division, like yeah. game to game, much like they have the past few years. I don't know if that means they're going to win nine or 10 games, but I do think that they're going to be at least compelling this year, especially with Arthur Smith at the helm. But, you know, at least this year, I think as a Falcons fan, you can be somewhat positive about the fact that this is finally, that they finally changed course for the first time in forever instead of chasing a, a Super Bowl that never ended I, up being. My, my pushback on that real quick, I'm curious where you side here, Charles, is you have to be you have to keep as many doors open as possible and i just don't understand locking yourself in there knowing the volatility of the nfl draft and like the worst place to be i feel like the falcons are the most and maybe this is because i've bet on the falcons so many damn times and like it actually has been profitable but like maybe not from a life perspective in terms of the sweat that i've poured out over the team <laughs> but like they feel so cursed in that they are in the most limbo spot, it feels like, of all teams. And you have to make moves to try and avoid that, to either bottom out or to try and keep it going. And they didn't give themselves the opportunity to bring in a quarterback. Is that how you feel? Or did you think they were locked in really from the time the season ended to like this end? I kind of felt like they had, they had like, for me, they had two paths. I kind of, more agree with you, George. Like it, it's, I was looking at it like this. All right, we can either just go full fanfare, right? Like let's bring Matt Ryan back. Let's bring Julio Jones back. Uh, we got Arthur Smith, like this fancy new play caller. Let's just take Pitts at four. Let's put some butts in some seats and let's just make the last of this little ride as fun as we can make it. Like if that was your rationale, I think it's a little short-sighted, but you know, I, I guess, you know, the interests of business have to come in at some point. And people in Atlanta are really like watching Matt Ryan and Julio Jones play. So I, I, I can kind of, I can kind of drive with that. And I mean, I would have loved to watch just like the idea of that three-headed receiving monster uh, go to work. But like, there was also a really good chance to just give yourself an out and try to figure out a way to start over uh, with this group. And, you know, maybe I guess they didn't like Justin feels all that much at four, but to me, if you're if you're the Falcons and you know, like in January or even December, like Julio wants out. All right, well, as a franchise legend, we've decided to honor that request, and we're going to ship him somewhere where he wants to go. To me, that just means like, all right, well then, this whole thing needs to come down. Like we need to mm -hmm. start over entirely. And I, I don't remember like what the before the restructure, like how feasible it was to do like a post June first trade, but uh, like even if you're not in love with Fields at four, this team still has so many holes over the next few years. You could just trade down and, and see if someone wants to come up there and try to get a future first. Because I think like an underrated thing with the Julio trade, and as much as it pains me, like it does make sense. Is next year like their cap is almost in like equally as bad a spot as it yeah. is this year because you've got yeah I think Brad. Uh, tweeted about it earlier today where you've got four players, Matt Ryan, Jake Matthews, Greg Jarrett, Deion Jones, taking up, uh, you know, half a cap space for next year. And then you still have $15 million of Julio Jones. That's dead cap for next year. So that's like 63% of the cap on five players. One of them who no longer plays for your team. Like it's a, it's a bad spot to be in. So, 
you know, I, I kind of thought like if, if you just want to run it back for one more year and let's have some fun, I guess, and really deal with the reckonings of this next year, that's fine. But with number four, you had more options, I think, than to kind of box themselves into. And, you know, I know that Kyle Pitts was the number one overall player on their board. And I mean, that's a pretty reasonable take to have just based on watching play in college. But yeah, we we know like spending the fourth overall pick on a tight end as good as he is is not always the best use of resources. And I think one of the frustrating things when I look on when I look at the Falcons for my future perspective is even without Julio Jones, like this isn't one of the worst offenses like in the league. Like a lot of teams would like to have like if, if you told me I was just starting out with Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Russell Gage, I'd be like, all right, like maybe we can be yeah. a little passing game offense, but now, like, what's next? Like, Matt Ryan's 36. I don't expect them to have a top four pick next year. And if Arthur Smith is good, like, they won't be there for a while. So I guess it just kind of clouds up, like, the post-Matt Ryan future. But you had a chance to kind of solidify that this year. It almost feels at some point they're going to have to make a move like what the Niners made, which is we're picking at 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. There's a guy we want to go get. And we're going to have to go get them. And the problem is then you lose outs, you know? And yeah. so you got to, you got to hit. Um, well, let's get back. We'll get back to some of the Falcons future, because I think that's interesting. I want to talk a little Calvin Ridley, a little Matty Ice, but let's set this division up and, uh, and start with the overwhelming favorite. Um, the odds as they stand right now, Bucks are minus 200 to win the South. The Saints, who also have a prop available on who starts a quarterback day one are the second most likely team to win the division at plus 300. This speaks to the division. Atlanta is eight to one and the Carolina Panthers are 11 to one. Let's start with the bucks. And I want to ask you this question, Charles, because I am, I've already bet Brady to win MVP. I think it's one of the best MVP bets out there. What's the odds on that? Uh, I bet it at 16 to one. I see it at 15, one and 14, one. Now Um, it feels as though, Things have set up for Brady to be dominant. I want to flip the script, though. If the Bucs lose this division, injuries kind of aside, say Brady plays, like what is, what's the pathway in your mind that makes the most sense if they were to lose the division? Uh, like Tom Brady just finally, <laughs> like Tom Brady wakes up one day like, oh, I'm 45 years old and I was playing NFL football and it hurts and doesn't look very good here. But I don't, I, I don't know. I could, I've been thinking that for a long time. I thought it was going to happen last year. So I'm not going to continue to bet against them. I, I guess like if like Brady just looking like a normal human being again would be my first thing. But uh, and, I, and I still believe a lot in the secondary. Uh, you know, maybe like if the pass rush is kind of piddles out next year. But like this team is. And I actually just wrote about it. It's coming like a little blurb about it. It's coming out tomorrow. Like it's just so fascinating to see a team bring literally everybody back. And I just don't know like how to like make a clean prediction off that because you know, like you didn't make any additions to subtractions and you don't want to project that guys are gonna get hurt during the season. So like on paper, they should come back and, and be, you know, the number one team in the division again. But if Tom Brady like plays like a 45-year-old and really takes a step back and maybe their coverage isn't quite as good as it was like towards the back half of the season in the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe that makes it a little more tough for them, but I don't really see a way 
that the other teams kind of catch up to them because I think just on a whole roster level, they're just kind of a, in a tier of their own when it comes to the NFC South right now. Yeah, it feels interesting, right? Because like I've, I've even heard like the theory, and this was, you know, about a lot of teams that just bring everybody back where it's like, you lose some, you, you want sort of some players on the team that like haven't won a Super Bowl before because they're like more hungry and like they have kind of like this haven't been here before sort of situation. Um, and, and that they're not going to have that in Tampa. Like th- literally their backups are, are, are all back. And so that, that, that makes it really interesting. They are really, yeah, we were talking about play callers and, and left witch and stuff. And we're looking back and like they were a top five, top 10 team in the NFL in yards per play allowed and and uh, gained in 19. And Jameis was, you know, through 30 interceptions. We've seen historically, you know, Peyton Manning's last year, it was a two to one interception to touchdown ratio. Brett Favre in Minnesota is like two to one interception. We've never seen that out of Brady, but it almost always sort of the, the wheels fall off of these guys. And if it's a year where he throws 20 interceptions, we've never seen that before. How could Tampa sort of withstand that? And that, and that's really like, that's, that's the tail probability for Tampa Bay here, I think. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see because like, it's just the define of basically all quarterback aging that we've seen. I mean, the guy came back and not like, obviously the, the weapons were better with Tampa Bay than were in his last year in New England, but I also thought he just played better. Like he just improved like on his play and it, it's just warm weather, baby. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely sickening to watch as someone who just can't escape this Tom Brady. Like first he rips out my heart in that Super Bowl, and now he's in my division with like the most loaded team that I've seen in quite some time in Tampa Bay. It's just, it, it's awful stuff. <laughs> let's, let's talk, let's jump into this. Um, this Byron Leftwich stuff because Eric and I were talking this, you know, right before you came on. And um, Eric wrote a fantastic article uh, looking at head coaches, defensive play callers, offensive play callers. Um, and there's a method shock. You know, a lot of people put out pieces like, hey, here's my rankings. It's how I felt today. I had, you know, Frosted Flakes this morning. One of them looked like one of these head coaches. And so he vaulted up my, my rankings, that kind of bullshit. Um, but, you know, th- this is a data driven approach to looking at how, you know, play calling impacted performance above what you'd expect with that group of players. And, and Byron Leftwich was sixth over the last two years. Um, is that is that fair? Is Byron Leftwich underrated dramatically in your opinion? How, how do you how do you think about Byron Leftwich, especially given that he's had Winston and now, as you said, a rejuvenated Brady? Well, I, I think it's interesting because based on what we know about Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, like they seem like they are for, for good reasons, guys who have strong opinions of themselves and their standings in the league. And also guys who have a very particular way of how things are done uh, on the field. And, you know, all we've seen from Arians forever, basically, like we're going to throw this ball down the field and we're going to try to attack big plays and make and pick up big chunks at a time. And, Brady, like over the years, like we've kind of known to be someone who's perfectly fine just throwing the ball a million times a game for seven yards as an attempt. Then next thing you know, you look up and you're down 35 nothing. And you know, I think as the season progressed, you kind of saw like at the first at the start of the season, I didn't think it was working all that well. Like I thought Brady kind of looked uncomfortable. And then as the season progresses, you kind of see the Arians philosophy and the Brady style of play kind of meet itself, meet each other in the middle a little bit. And 
you know, if Byron Leopard just called plays, like I feel like I just got to give him a lot of credit for being able to marry these two things that, you know, before the season it was like, well, this kind of seems like a little bit of an awkward fit just based on where Tom Brady is in, is in his career based on how Bruce Arians uh, likes to play football. So, you know, Tom Brady, like if my memory served me correct, like he was one of the more aggressive quarterbacks in the league in terms of his air yards per attempt, but like you're still seeing the efficiency. Uh, and to me, like if you're doing that with someone who hasn't really played you know, this like heated down the field style system uh, in quite some time. I just feel like I got to give some props for making it work at such an efficient level. And I know that Tom Brady had input and Bruce Arians had, had input, but, you know, making that work on gameplay, I thought that that, that job and the personalities that he's working with kind of got underrated. So I, I'm, I'm pretty high on Byron Leftwich. And then in the Super Bowl, I mean, that was just such a good game plan performance, especially the, the play that I come back to all the time is like that toss crack run where Fournette scored on the late run. And you kind of see over the game, how they're setting up with their duo and inside zone runs and they bang it outside and just the way that he's able to stack things and make the defense pay for over pursuing and stuff. It, it, it's pretty impressive. Like the whole ordeal from like the, the personal handlings to the actual on the field stuff. I think he's a really underrated player caller right now. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think when you look at that team, like I was watching the AFC champ or the NFC championship game a couple of days ago. And like, I didn't even, I, I think I forgot this totally. You know, we remember that Antonio Brown was out and, and uh, you know, they go Scotty Miller over the top of Kevin King at the end of the half, Tyler Johnson, who's a fifth round pick out of Minnesota. They're not, they're wide receiver five made a humongous catch on third down uh, to, to extend one of Tampa Bay's drives to sort of keep green Bay at arm's length they had injuries that were not trivial this year. Like Mike Evans was banged up almost the whole time. Godwin didn't even get a thousand yards because he was hurt for a decent amount of time. They were in and out at running back in the Super Bowl. They had a backup at playing guard. They had a rookie playing right tackle. And as you said, Brady acclimating to an entire different offense. Like I think we'll all say, I, I, when I, when I put the name on paper, I said, people are going to think this is Brady, but I do think he deserves a decent amount of credit. A, for getting a Jameis Winston team to one of the most efficient offenses leading the league in passing in 2019 and then turning that over and not only be staying one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL, but completing the job in the Super Bowl, especially given the, the limitations that Bruce Arians has on him, which is that he's not going to give you fourth down very much. He's not going to give like he's not like mm. in the NFC title game when Brady waved them off and had the fourth down play to Fournette that was a, an anomaly like left which doesn't get the four downs that a lot of these offensive coordinators get and he was still obviously able to, to to coach a Super Bowl winning offense I, I you know I hate to make I'm not making this comparison please don't you know put this comparison on me but it reminds me a little bit of Peyton Manning Broncos where you know Peyton Manning is a savant there okay he's got great offensive weapons and their offense is amazing and Adam Gase is seen as a quarterback whisperer. Now, I sure as hell believe that Byron Leftwich is a better coach and play caller than Adam Gase. But I look back at last season and I think about the first, you know, the pre-buy Bucks. They were running the ball on first down at a redonkulous rate. I believe only two teams were higher than them. And after the buy, they started running play action more. It, it, and I immediately... I credited Brady. It felt like they were doing more things that Brady liked, like, you know, early down play action, throwing a little bit more on early downs. Um, and he got kind of hot on third down. If you look at first and second downs, 
over the course of the season, they were the 10th best offense in, in EPA per play. So I struggle to put that much of it on Leftwich because I see the struggles at the beginning and I go, was it Leftwich that made all these adjustments, you know, or was it Brady? Some credit, I agree with you, Charles, like it goes to Leftwich for being able to implement them and like work with Brady. But to me, to put them that high on the list at six, it's a little tough. And, and I, you know, I, I hope it's right. Cause I like Leftwich personally. I told you guys this, like I played with the Jags as soon as Leftwich was picked as a rookie in Madden. I remember it vividly and it broke my heart that he wasn't good, but I feel like we got to pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, maybe, maybe it's recency bias because we just like, that was the last football game that we yeah. saw, but I don't know. I'm just, I've just personally have been pretty impressed with, you know, a, a tying together a 43 year old quarterback and this also stubborn head coach to to get it to work for at least one season okay i i'm gonna re, i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'd put shanahan above byron Lockwich, but yeah that's I, just I, would, I definitely would too we're gonna get right back to charles mcdonald at four verts here in a second but before we do um a couple of announcements here if you are getting ready for the football season and you better be because if you're not it's gonna hit you like a ton of bricks in like six weeks um you need to head to pff.com especially if you're trying to draft a fantasy team like anytime uh, before the season starts uh you'll have july 4th and if you haven't studied by then you're in trouble so go to pff.com we've got uh, a best ball draft kit which is probably my favorite way i know it's eric's favorite way to prepare for the fantasy season you can play without the ramifications of having to manage your roster during the season, get real information, prepare yourself, get a little skin in the game. And we have a draft kit that covers everything you need to know from being a novice to figuring out some advanced strategy. It comes with PFF edge, which is just $40 for the whole freaking year. It gets you the draft guide. It gets you all the fantasy rankings, projections, even gets you NFL betting power ratings, strength of schedule, a ton of shit for you 40 bucks. Best ball is good for George. What? Best ball is pro family. It's pro family time. The less time you have to set your rosters on Sunday morning, the more time you can have breakfast with your family. This, go to this is supposed to be a, 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 a good thing for host the host, the PFF NFL pregame show, yeah. like all these things you can do when you don't have to set your fantasy roster and best ball allows you to do that. We are it's pro family. It's pro. It's pro work life. I leave. I'll balance. leave the pro family takes to the man that has a family, and I will stick to. It's a great way to prepare for fantasy season. Um, another great way to indulge yourself this summer is to go to symbol s i m b u l l dot app slash pff. It is a stock market for sports teams. You can buy shares of teams in any league. Uh, and then you can follow the prices. They rise and fall. You can sell, you can buy. You also get paid off dividends when those teams win. So it, it's a ton of fun. You can see they do a great job of showing, uh, you know, which, um, which franchises are being purchased, which are being sold over time. It's great. And here's the thing. You use promo code PFF, deposit 10 bucks, and then you get a free PFF Edge subscription and that best ball draft kit for 10 freaking dollars. That's insane. So a ton of great deals. I got to ask you, Eric. Um which uh, which franchises have you been buying? Do they have WNBA on there yet? No, they don't. I know, I know. But um, but here's the thing. I'm up. See, see, you remind, reminded me to look. My portfolio is up fifth. No, my portfolio all time is up sixty seven point eight one percent. Wow. Um, and that is you just over the last three or four months. 
Uh, I have currently one 49ers, two Falcons, two Jets, two Broncos, three Cowboys, one Giant, one Football, one Panthers, and one Minnesota Vikings. You do love to see that. Go to symbol.com, uh, symbols.app slash PFF and be like Eric, family man. And now back to Charles McDonald. Um, we'll get out of the box on this one. Gut uh, feeling. Better chance the Bucks go over 15 and a half wins, 17 game season, or lose the division? Uh, lose the division. I mean, that's tough. You know, six, what, over 15 and a half games? So we're talking 16, one and better? Yeah, 16, uh, one or yeah, 17. I would, I would give them definitely a, a better chance to lose the division than do that. Where's that break even point for you? Is it like 14 and a half games? Uh, yeah, like 13, 14 and a half games. It's just, like when, I don't know. That's just a, that's a that'd be one hell of a season to go sixteen to one. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. It's a good. It's good for you to come on here and talk me off of the like, who's gonna stop the freaking box? And I think the answer, as you pointed out, is like the box. You know, and like th- there are some some reasons to to feel that way. Um, let's let's move to the Saints here. Um, as I mentioned, they are the second most likely team according to Vegas to win three to one, but there's literally a question as to who is going to play quarterback. Do you think there's a question <laughs> that needs to be answered uh, on the quarterback um, decision? Well, I think for normal head coaches, this wouldn't be a question. Like, yeah, like you, you play Jameis and you hope for the best. You try to just kind of see what extracurricular stuff you can do with Taysom Hill on the side. But like, this is Sean Payton. I don't know, man. Like he's started – uh, Taysom Hill for what five games and they beat the Falcons twice. So I I, I don't know. <laughs> and then they like if if, if I, I'll I'll say this like if Sean Payton comes out and says Taysom Hill is the week one starter, I don't think anyone should be surprised because like he's nuts. But uh, I, I I personally would start James because I don't think that Taysom Hill is like a serious starting quarterback. But uh, if he wants to give them like legit quarterback competition to see what happens and uh, go for it, Sean. But we all knew like w- when you needed a big throw in that playoff game, there was one player that you put in for that trick play. Uh, that was Jameis because he's the only one that could actually throw the ball that far uh, accurately, somewhat accurately uh, on the team. So I-, I think that Jameis is an easy choice because there's like still some part of me that wants to believe that if James could just stop throwing interceptions at the rate that he does that like I don't see why he couldn't be a quarterback that gets a second contract but the problem is he does and he does those stupid things I mean I remember uh, <laughs> at the combine a few years ago I was actually talking to a Bucks coach and uh, they were saying like by the end of the season that the 30 for 30 season that James had with the touchdowns and interceptions that like some by the end of the season, some of the coaches thought it was kind of funny when he would throw an interception and when he threw that pick six to to close the season versus Atlanta to get in the 30. Like he said, everyone was kind of laughing at it except for one person, Bruce Arians. And the next thing you know, Tom Brady's got his foot in the door and James is the backup in New Orleans. But you just kind of look at the high plays, like the, the peak plays with James, and it's easy to convince yourself that maybe this can be something. And if Sean Payton's as good as a play caller that you know, he's been propped up to be over the past few years, then this could work because, I mean, he's got more physical talent than Drew Brees had over the past few years. 
Yeah, Peyton, eight and two in games where Drew Brees was hurt and had to miss the game during their tenure. Sort of crazy it's only 10 games, frankly, but, uh, you know, obviously a testament to what kind of coach he is. I want to ask you, Charles, about the defense, though, right? Because I feel like the last season they had no number two option really in the passing game, and they didn't even have Thomas for most of the season. I feel like last year all the attention was on Brees and his, you know, decline and then the backups. But really that defense was what kept them in the hunt for the one seed in the NFC. And they, they do have some defections with Hendrick Hendrickson and, and uh, Janoris Jenkins and, and, and such. Is that defense still good enough though to keep, is, is that the reason why the market is still relatively okay on them and that they'll defense will give them a kind of a baseline level of competency. And then if a quarterback can come in and just not screw it up, is, is that the way that the saints end up with a winning record this year? Yeah, I think that's possible. It's just, for me with the Saints, and I guess I kind of feel this way about the Falcons too and other teams that have had, you know, some cap issues throughout the offseason, like the margin for error is so thin. Like mm-hmm. if Marshawn Lattimore goes down, that secondary does not look nearly as good, you know, and it's already like looking thin. Uh, if Cam Jordan goes down, like that pass rush is not looking like anything that's going to terrify you. And, you know, another player they lost, Sheldon Rankins on the interior. I know he's been banged up a lot over the past few years, but when he's been healthy and able to get into your groove, like he's a pretty good asset to have on your field. But, you know, like as, as things stand right now, like if you just look at the starters uh, and don't look really at the depth behind them, it it looks like an all right defense. Like Cam Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, Chauncey Garden, uh, Gardner, or Char- <laughs> Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, Demario Davis. I mean, those are guys that, you would like to have starting your defense. It's just like if one of those guys goes down, you're putting someone out there who probably doesn't need to be out there. And it's just, you know, when you go all in for so many years in a row and your quarterback's gone, you kind of end up with a top heavy roster. And that's just something that they're going to have to deal with for uh, this year. But I will say like, if the Saints beat the Falcons this year, twice again, I'm going to absolutely scream because (laughs) this roster to me, like, it's not that much better than like where the Falcons are right now, just from a whole, because I think the Falcons quarterback situation is a lot better. So one of, one of the things you brought up, by the way, Charles, was the thinness, right? And that was on the other side of the ball too. And another like weak link system, Saints offensive line has always dealt with injuries to Toronto Armstead, Ramcheck at times, like, and the interior hasn't, hasn't been healthy, you know, unanimously. And Breeze is always like a great guy to cover that up, right? For as deficient as his arm could have been, over time he was great at protecting his offensive line and that's another weak link for the saints which is they're they have really good uh elite caliber talent on the o-line but obviously depth is an issue with every offensive line in the league and when Jameis and or Taysom Hill are your quarterbacks injuries to that position are now going to be exacerbated relative to what they would have been with Breeze I think that that that's kind of and that's again I I think I just bet another I made another bet on saints under in my, in both my mind and my heart. It, I mean, it's nine, you know, you make a really good point, Charles, which is like, just look at, and this is why Eric and I like to try and guess the numbers, you know, cause it like grounds you in some sort of opinion on talent level. And I remember doing this division and like, we had the same thought, which is like, okay, th- these other three teams, they all kind of stink in different areas, you know, and it's like, is one really that much better than the other, but the saints uh, win totals at nine and it's plus one of three, the over minus 125 the other. So it's not like that lopsided on either side Falcons at seven and a half. Now minus minus one ten to both sides. 
Um, you mentioned like, okay, Drew Brees is gone. They've got a new quarterback in here. I have another question about the ramifications of that, but just with that in mind, like nine wins, where's your head out on that? Mm, that's tough. Cause I like, I do think like, just look at, like you look at offensive line, Camara, some of the stars on defense. Like, I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, man, that's tough. I think maybe I'll go like, if I could get like right under nine, uh, like eight, that's probably where I go just because I just don't, I don't, I don't trust, I, I don't really trust Sean Payton to handle this quarterback situation in like a sensible way for all 17 games. Uh, so I think that that's going to hurt them. And then, yeah, you, know, you touched on it briefly, but the, this wide receiver room outside of Michael Thomas is like really bad, honestly. It's, it's not to, to me, like it, I don't really see anyone to, to be afraid of. And that's just, not where they've been really uh, over recent years. Like Michael Thomas, obviously he's good, but then Traycon Smith, Deontay Harris, Marquez Callaway. Uh, who, who, who's going to I mean, Alvin Kamara is their number two. Right. Yeah, he's the number two receiver. And, you know, if you're with this Saints team, like you're asking a lot of guys, like you're asking a few amount of guys to carry a lot of the load. Like on offense, that's going to be the Thomas and Kamara show with, I'm assuming, some. Taysom Hill runs sprinkled in here and there on defense. Like you need Cam Jordan to be a dude this year. Like you need Marshawn Lattimore to be a guy this year or else it's kind of going to fall apart. And I think just when you're pinned to that few players with that much of the responsibility for making things go all right, it just kind of makes me think you're, you know, teetering on the edge of a bad season. But I think I'd go like slightly under on that just because I still am a believer of Sean Payton as a play caller. I think he's nuts, but like his chops on the field, I think have been well-respected to this point. Uh, and they still do have some dudes on, on, on defense. So I think I'll go like slightly under that nine wins. I'm not gonna lie, it just pains me to say it. Alvin Kamara is by a good margin, like my favorite player in the league. And I'm really nervous that it's not gonna be a great year for him because of what Breeze, Breeze like had the perfect offense for him. It, he was so accurate. He threw the ball short every single play. And he made people feared ancillary weapons with Breeze in a way that I'm not sure they will with another quarterback because of how smart he was. I was able to find the open guy. And we saw well, like when Taysom Hill, if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, like I'm worried about Kamara because he really struggled in those games. Like he did not have that same, you know, ability to catch, you know, the short passes that were never thrown accurately with Taysom Hill. So I'm hoping that it's Winston and I'm hoping that Kamara does not suffer too much from, you know, kind of this like lack of weapons everywhere else, right. um, which, you know, would be, would be sad. Cause that guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I personally would not be too sad, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I actually... like on my fantasy team or something, but I haven't done any drafts yet. <laughs> I, I will. I can guarantee you this. I will have him on my fantasy team. I had him last year. Carried me. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I actually think loyal. Latavius Murray, if he sticks around, is gonna flirt with a thousand yards because that team's gonna run the ball a lot. Latavius is actually a fairly good player. L- um, unknown, yeah. unknown fact about Eric: his favorite celebration is the Tave Train uh, <laughs> celebration, and he like does if it. I get like some good meal at a restaurants you know just um and just cross it uh so charles with respect to the falcons what is because i look at actually what is the path for them this season like is there a path for them to have a competent enough defense to win nine ten games in this division 
I mean, they they kind of had glimpses of a Compton defense last year at times. Like after like after DQ got fired, like the I thought the play call got better, and you know they kind of got better. Like I, I think maybe they had like some more favorable plays go go in their way that they weren't getting before. And like that Oakland game, or not Oakland, Vegas, where they just beat down the Raiders. I mean. That was just kind of like a level of play calling on defense that I hadn't seen before, just in terms of the timing of the blitzes and stuff like that. Uh, so to me, it showed like at least with different coaching, like maybe you can squeeze like a average to below average season out of them. Uh, and I the think pain that, on your face, by I the way, <laughs> is. I am just, you know, I know I can feel I commiserate with you, man. I've been saying this since like 2005. Like it's just like every single year, like, like hey, like if you if you squint like a Patrick Kearney and uh, Dunter Robinson, maybe they can be something. Now we're here, like if you squint with Grady Jarrett and AJ Terrell, like maybe they can piece something together and have a quality defense. Just I don't know, it's just the same argument here every year. But I will say this: I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Dean Pease, and I think that just in terms of play calling he's probably the best guy, like, just on paper, like, the idea of him that Atlanta has had in quite some time. Uh, so, I'll, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for that, but I just am worried about the personnel that they have. Like, to me, when I look at this secondary, like, going back to the conversation we had earlier about what went wrong with the Falcons, like, that barrage of injuries they had at, like, the start of the 2019 season, I want to say, mm-hmm. where, like you lose Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, DeMonte KZ, all in like a matter of weeks. And it just kind of felt like it never really recovered from that until late last season uh, when some guys started playing well. But, you know, they're just they, – they just don't have a whole lot of depth, I guess. Like the pass rush to me is – I don't see how you could count on that being like a legitimate part of the team this year because Dante Fowler – I've always thought he's kind of been overrated unless you yeah. stick him next to Aaron Donald. And I love Grady Jarrett. And I think in the league where Aaron Donald exi- doesn't exist, he has a case to be like maybe one of the best guys in the league, but you know, he exists in reality. So uh, that was not what they were hoping to get from him last year. And I don't really see why he would be like all that much more productive. And then across from him, like, we're, we're dealing with guys like, like Brandon Copeland and Arcadius Mingo. Uh, it just seems like they don't really have the juice up front to get this going. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of AJ Terrell and Richie Grant, the safety, I think is going to be an upgrade for them. But, you know, it's still a pretty young secondary. And the guys that aren't young only have like one year deals attached to them. So uh, I think it's going to be tough. Like we're going to see how good of a play caller Dean Pease is versus Dan Quinn versus Raheem Morris last year. Uh, but if they can get the defense together, maybe they could. I mean, because like I said before, like Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, uh, Russell Gage, like you could have a worse passing game trio than that. And then uh, the running game should be better because you just don't have Todd Gurley back there. So I, maybe they can squeeze out in a year where the Saints fall off and the Panthers are consistent. Maybe they can get to nine or ten. Uh, but I think with the defense and some of the offensive line issues, it's going to be tough for them. It's interesting. You mentioned the coaching and that's when I think about their seven and a half minus minus one ten on both sides. I still feel good about taking the over. We had, we bet it at seven. And it's interesting. If you had the same coaching staff from last year, and this is, I, I've heard great things about Dan Quinn, the person, but like I, I would be terrified 
and like the consistency and scheme is so important and like having faith that it works <laughs> and like that that's what gives me faith you mentioned calvin ridley he's such an interesting conversation here because julio jones like you know there's a handful of receivers who every single game the opposing defense starts with that guy and like that's what they care about and calvin ridley was amazing with or without julio in the lineup rank Calvin Ridley among receivers in the NFL right now. Like how, how bullish are you on, on Ridley? I think he's top 10. Um, I don't, I don't think he's like, you know, super elite. Like when I think of super elite, like I'm thinking like Julio, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I don't think he's like quite on that level yet, but. Can he get there? I, I, I think so. Like in the thing with Ridley is like, I don't know how much better he gets, but like his game just translates to like so many different styles of quarterback, like any, anyone who can get the level of separation that he can. Uh, like I was watching my buddy Nate Tice. I think he was posting clips earlier from the Bucks game, like the second Bucks game last year. And like first press, like you can't get a hand on him and then he's fast enough and has, you know, enough quicks with his route running to get away. Uh, and when you have guys like who are just kind of open by their own skills all the time. I think, you know, we're just kind of going to look back and the stats are just going to keep adding up, adding up, adding up, adding up. And we're like, well, damn, like he had a pretty good career, like when it's all said and done. And, you know, maybe he has years like where he flirts with like elite receiver status. Maybe he just gets there and just becomes one. Uh, but I would just like to see like one more year of him being like the dude. Uh, because that's, that's, you know, not, not everyone's built for that role. Like we've seen guys have, you know, big, like heavy target seasons, and then they just kind of fall off the map and just like wide receiver twos and threes for the rest of their career. I don't think like that's going to happen to him because I, I think he's, you know, got the talent of wide receiver one. But there's a difference between being like wide receiver one quality and then being, you know, be wide receiver one for one of the, like the, uh, what I expect to be like one of the more aggressive pass attacks in the league. So, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see what a full year of Calvin Ridley looks like because I think that he has potential to, like, have seasons where he leads the league in receiving yards. Uh, and I think that this is going to be a good fit with him and Arthur Smith, but I still need to see him do it, you know. Yeah, the the, the unfortunate thing about where they put themselves cap-wise is, right, like I was going to ask, do you think that they should go after somebody like Jamison Crowder if he becomes available from the Jets? you know, just to sort of supplement him a little bit, mm -hmm. but they really, I don't know if they have the resources to do that. And, and so to your point, it's probably going to be a humongous lift for him and Pitts. And as you said earlier in the pod, you know, tight ends picked in the top 10, like they almost never perform right away. You know, even Hawkinson took a year to be what he's ending up being, which is a pretty good tight end. Vernon Davis, he almost had to carry the Niners passing game when he was taken that high. You know, Pitts will have the the benefit of not having to carry the entire passing game, but I think it's a little heavy-handed to assume he'll come right out of the gate and be one of the top yeah. three or four guys there. So it yeah. really is going to be a Ridley show, and you wonder if those secondary receivers, uh, Zacchaeus or or um, you know Russell Gage, is going to be able to sort of support him, uh, you know, as a secondary option. Yeah, I, I would think love, I would love to get another guy in here like Jameson Crowder. I I'm keeping an eye on that, you know, pretty hard because I think I, I saw. Uh, I think it was Joel Corey today. He was talking about the Falcons cap situation. And he said after they signed the rookie class, they should have between like seven and 8.5 million, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, if if Crowder gets cut, I would imagine it wouldn't take that much to get him here like a little one year deal or something. So, you know, I, hopefully they can get either, you know, a third wide receiver or maybe another cornerback. I don't know who's out there right now that they would, they would like, but uh, they, they might have enough room to add like one or two more veteran guys before they're totally set for this year. So I, w- I hope they do because, you know, that is, this team is not should not be viewed as a finished product, even at this point in the offseason. Ridley, you mentioned the creation of separation. And I, 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 thinking about his ceiling, it's like there's definitely some differences between these receivers. But I think about Stephon Diggs and a guy who, like, his route running was so pristine and he just, like, he creates separation everywhere. Like, he could, you know, any quarterback, as you said, like, would love to have that guy. But Diggs has such a wide receiver one, like, mentality. You know, it's like he's built for it. And it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think if Calvin Ridley has that, you know, like that's where I could, you know, that's kind of his ceiling, um, which would be sweet. And then that gives Pitts, who interestingly, I think this is the Julio move is great for Pitts because now he, he's not, he's got to be a real player. Like it doesn't give him any room to hide. He's got to be a featured component of this offense. And, you know, the whole like, yeah, you have to come into the league and like figure things out. It's like, dude, no, like you got to come in and, and start, you know, performing well right off the bat. Like that's what great players do. And, um, and I think that's going to put a little pressure on them, which I think is, is honestly good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to ask one more question about the Falcons. Did uh, Space Jam uh, with LeBron is coming out. I'm not sure that, uh, that I'm going to watch it with the same reverence that uh, I watched the original Space Jam, but the analogy stands where, uh, an evil monster comes in and steals the powers of everyone. And it feels as though Tom Brady has done that with Drew Brees and potentially Matty Ice. How do you evaluate Matty Ice? Does he still have it or is he losing, um, you know, the arm talent that he needs to succeed? Uh, I mean, I, I think he still has got like two, maybe three quality years left. Because mm-hmm. I guess like I've kind of gone back and watched, you know, some of the stuff and, First is just like, good God, Dirk Cotter. I mean, that was just, over the last few years, just a master class in dumbassery. Like, I can't even believe what I was watching. But I, I just, I don't think that the the arm talent is completely gone there. Uh, and like, there's still some moments where I'm just like, damn, like, damn, like he's still getting some juice on some of these throws, like the timing's still good. I don't think he's like the player that he was in like 2016, 2017, 2018. Like I definitely think he's taking a step back, but I think that, you know, like there's a certain section of Falcons fans that is just like, Oh, he's done. He's terrible. We can't do anything with him. We should have taken Justin Fields. Like, you know, I, I don't think that Justin Fields, like the idea of taking him for really to me had much to do with like a current opinion of Matt Ryan. It's just more about the opportunity cost of taking a quarterback now. You might need one in like a year or two. Uh, but for Matt Ryan, like just by himself, I I, I still think he's going to have a, a nice bounce back season, even without Julio Jones. And that's just because of what I believe Arthur Smith, the play caller to be over the past couple of years in, in Tennessee. I don't think it's over for him, but he's not as good as he used to be in the clock's ticking. You know, some of these years, in some of these years, like to me, Matt Ryan just kind of seems like one of these guys is you're just going to be good until you're not. And then it's just going to be over and uh, the, the end is going to be pretty ugly. But I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, interestingly, right, the Falcons, another example of sort of like getting unlucky and then making another bad bet. Like I thought Sarkeesian 
was slow slow to start in 2017, but I thought he was terrific in 2018. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they let him go in favor of a guy, as you said, who was really bad the last few years. And and, and I think that you've you've hit on both both sides of the football here. The biggest case that I can make for the Falcons is that I think they'll be well coached on both sides of the ball with their coordinators and peace. And then uh, I'm assuming Smith's calling plays. Um, Charles, speaking of a play caller, so Joe Brady last season, I think really got a lot out of Teddy Bridgewater, especially in the first half of the season. We fast forward to this year, they move on to to Sam Darnold and, you know, maybe PJ Walker, maybe Will Greer, but probably Sam Darnold. uh, Hey, PJ Walker, man. Assuming he doesn't get like a cross between mono and COVID uh, and, and has to miss like six or seven games. Um, well, he can like, just get what? the vaccine afterwards, right? Isn't that how yeah, it works? Just, yeah. Yes, that's, that's how it get COVID, then you get the vaccine. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Um, somebody should tell them the side effects of the vaccine or, or competent quarterback play. Um, so when you look at this team, at second year under the arts mock, um, are they are they at all a threat to the top three teams in the division, or is it going to be a few more years for the Panthers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it could be. It could be. And I say this as someone. I mean, I I just spent you know one and a half years covering Sam Donald for the Daily News uh, with the Jets, and I mean, I think with Sam is it's so hard to me to kind of nail down like totally what he is because you look at the stats. You're like, why the hell would anybody trade for this guy? Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to trade him and then pick up his fifth-year option. Just like, if I just look at the stats, like, it's almost a completely indefensible decision that the Panthers have made. And then the pass on Justin Fields on top of that, it, it mm-hmm. makes no sense. But, like, I watch him play, and I'm like, a lot of this is bad. It, a lot of it is bad. But I think, you, like, you look at him, like, if he had just the right play caller in the right situation – you just see like these insane plays that he makes where, you know, the touch, like touchdown to Braxton Berrios versus uh, Indianapolis last year. Then he had the other one for San Francisco that kind of made the rounds. And the funny thing with Sam is like, you know, you'll see people say, oh, well, you know, if Patrick Mahomes had this throw, then uh, it will be all over sports and really, yeah, but that throw versus the 49ers came when they were down like 31-3 in the fourth quarter. And the big reason they were there is because Sam Darnold didn't play all that well. That's why it's not going to have a sports center because no one cares because they're still losing. Uh, but, you know, like it's just kind of some of the qualitative analysis that I see where I get like why you would watch a year or two of Sam Darnold tape. You're like, man, I can fix this. Like I can be the one to fix this. And, you know, to the Panthers' credit, they're putting a lot more talent around him than he had in mm-hmm. New York. Like, you're going from a situation where Robbie Anderson is by far your best receiver in New York to where Robert Anderson, Robbie Anderson is, like, a clear number two with B.J. Warren. Then you add Terrace Marshall in the draft. And obviously, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. Like, this is such a better spot than he was in with the Jets. But at the same time, like, he's got a lot to prove before you can just kind of, like, anoint him as being a clear upgrade from Teddy Bridgewater because like there might, like he might not play as well as Teddy Bridgewater has or, or that Teddy Bridgewater did last year, even though, you know, he's physically a more talented player than Bridgewater has really ever been uh, in his career. So Sam's tough because like you watch him play and you're like, I see a path where this turns out, but you left look at the whole sample size. And it's like, man, like 
the odds are like this turns out to be kind of a whiff for Carolina. And if Justin Fields ends up good, that's probably going to be a decision where they're looking back like, damn, like we had a prime opportunity there and we let it slip for, you know, a lottery ticket that doesn't have super great odds of hitting. I, what's the word to describe PTI does this, like, you know, describe, describe this with one word blank is passing on Justin Fields with your quarterback being Sam Darnold and taking a corner when your win total is seven, seven and a half is what? (laughs) Uh, Chaotic. I would say like crazy, maybe like, (laughs) I I, I don't get it. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of JC Horn. And I think that, them selecting him there is a good sign of like what they see the future of this defense turning out to be like how they want to play their coverages and play their fronts and be aggressive. But damn dude, like, like I, I get the dice roll on Sam Donald. I don't get going all in on Sam Donald. Like if you brought, if you trade for Sam Donald and then take fields, like I'm not, I'm not hating that process uh, because I still believe that like Sam could be a, a fine backup quarterback or someone to compete and maybe if he's better than fields i don't know like it's it's not a bad problem to have in your hands like two young quarterbacks with promise uh but to just go all in on sam Darnold, i just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense and when you go in with you you have the, the added view of david tepper is someone who wants to like make charlotte like a hub for nfl football uh mm-hmm. and he wants that quarterback so bad. Like he wants to build a new stadium in Charlotte so badly. Like he just wants all these flashy things. And it kind of goes back to where he was last year, where a lot of people were saying like, dude, if you want to rebuild, do this the right way. Like don't, you know, I was about to say a bad word, but don't, you know, be one foot in one foot out with this. Like, don't like if you, people were saying last year, if you sign Teddy Bridgewater, he's not going to be good enough to get you anywhere, but he might not be bad enough where you can end yeah. up with one of the top picks in the draft. Like we that's said that. Yeah. That's the thing a lot of people were saying before the yeah. season. And that's exactly what happened. And now he's in a spot where, Oh, well I'm panicking for a quarterback spot. Well, like you could have had a top three pick this year. Like you could have been guaranteed one of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and you don't have to, you know, pass on Justin Fields or trade for Sam Darnold. It's just kind of a bizarre way that they've handled this. If they want to be, you know, like this news hub for NFL football around the league. I mean, I don't quite understand the the panicking there at the quarterback position, but the way that they've handled it doesn't just quite make a whole lot of sense to me. There's also this weird game theory to it, right? Where as well as if Darnold's moderately successful, then Joe Brady's a head coach, in which case Darnold is retained and now on coordinator four or five over the last four or five years. And it's just, to me, I agree with you, Charles, 100%. It's just like, it's not incredibly great foresight, right? It's just, yeah. do we think through all the permutations here? And, and do they any, do any of them end up optimally for Carolina? I think the answer is no, even though I, I do, I tend to have as a Falcons backer, um, a little bit of nervousness that the Panthers will have, will be competitive this year. Yeah. Um, just because they they did like like Jeremy Chin's a good football player. J.C. Horn, as you said, is a player. Dante Jackson's had fits and starts. They Brian Burns is a nice like they they have players on the team that can be pretty good. And as you, and you Joe Brady, off, yeah, you listed off all their weapons. I think their offensive line they did, they did get Brady Christensen, who I think is a good player in the third round of tackle. So there there are they're putting pieces in place. It's just weird that they it's weird that the the art smock 
thinks that a five win season when you're on a six year contract is anything more meaningful than a three win season, um, especially given what you can end up with when you have a three win season. Right. Uh, he wrote the, the beast really of Mike Teddy Davis. Yeah, yeah, I didn't understand. Like, I like Teddy Bridgewater as much as anybody, but I didn't understand him playing for the Panthers last year. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Teddy was like, ooh, there's some money. Let me go get it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and granted, like, as you talk about somebody who's, who's you talk, we talk about bad luck on this show a lot, like, talk about somebody who's hit on some bad luck. Like, yeah. he, you know, good for him for getting his money, but like, but it didn't make, like, I would have liked to see him play for Chicago. I think Chicago gets a couple extra wins if he's on that team last year, but, but nonetheless. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that, you know, we're talking a lot about the Julio bungling with the Falcons. We may look back on this and I would not be surprised at all. I think the biggest misstep in this entire division was the Panthers, who actually have done a lot of things right, have a really nice ecosystem. It's not quite, you know, Broncos-esque. And you have to flip. You may not think that Justin Fields is a top three worthy pick you still got to take those chances. Like, you know, there's no way that anyone heard anything bad enough about the guy that they're like, yeah, he's not worth the eighth overall pick in this draft. You know, from a quarterback perspective, we just know the outcomes and the potential there. You have to take the swing. Um, and, and the chances that you have that opportunity again are not great. You know, they're not. And if you do have that opportunity again, it's because you failed Justin Fields and that's okay. Like, yeah. You take another one. Like that's that's just how this works. Yeah, um, see, that, that's especially with especially with this like the way the guys are getting paid now. You know, on the rookie contracts, I should say, if you're a team that needs a quarterback, I'm just gonna try again every every year until I find a guy. Like I don't understand why teams like the Broncos are getting so attached to Drew Locke because you know a contract wise, a rookie quarterback is relatively inexpensive. Like they passed on them too. I mean. Just, just don't be afraid to just go after these guys year after year after year after year because at the end of the day, it's just going to help you so much more to, to hit on one than to miss and think that you have one. So just keep trying, man. Well, and to your point, you covered the Jets and the Giants for New York Daily News, and, and you think about the Jets, 2018, they go after Kirk Cousins, they fail, right? They make the trade for Darnold. They have two head coaches fired over that time. They're the most dysfunctional franchise in that entire stretch of time. And yet I'll argue that the Jets are in a better position now as a franchise than they would have been had they landed Cousins in 2018. To your point where the the worst thing in, in the NFL is so far away from failing on a rookie quarterback. Like, in fact, the, the only thing that's bad about it is if you take too long to punt on it, a la the Bears and, and teams like that, if you move on quickly, it, it's it's water under the bridge. And, and teams like that, like you get Salah in there, you get Zach Wilson in there, you get some weapons finally. And it's like, I actually like them a lot, it, even though they've done almost nothing right over the past like half a decade. And that's the magic of a, of a rookie quarterback and uh, something that I don't think teams really under, understand as much as they should. I, uh, I have one last football-related question. It's a very simple question. You're hiring a uh, head coach next year, Charles. You get to choose between Joe Brady and Byron Leftwich. Same price. Uh, who are you hiring? Uh, I'm going to go. I, I guess I'll, I think I'll go with Byron Leftwich just because I've, I've seen more. And I'm not I, – I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I just, I just want to see another year of Joe Brady. Uh, I want to see him do another quarterback. Like, 
uh, I, I just, I just for, you know, it's not, it's not like way more experience than Joe Brady, but it's just a little bit more that made me comfortable because I was just, I, I was a little confused this off season. Like, man, like a lot of teams are interviewing Joe Brady to be like their head coach. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, he was co-offensive coordinator at, at LSU. Like I would just like to see him do it again. No one, no one has witnessed Joe Brady being carried up the field with a broken leg by his offensive line. Uh, we have that with left, which I feel like that's, I feel like that already gets you. That's a spread that Joe Brady has to cover right away that I, that I don't think people understand as much. Can I say this? I think Joe Brady is a better offensive coordinator, but I'm with you guys on who I would hire as head coach. And I think it speaks to the really important thing about a head coach, which is you can't just bring in like Zach Taylor who has Sean McVay's playbook <laughs> and hope it works. Like he just, yeah. that's not, that's not how, that's not how this thing works. Um, Charles, this has been awesome. You're immediately in uh, our top five of, of <laughs> podcast guests. We started a new um, segment that we do every Sunday where we give recommendations to listeners about something that we've tried or, you know, a book we've read any, literally anything that we feel worth a recommendation. And I have a surprise. I actually have a recommendation for you after okay. you give us your recommendation. I'm very excited to hear it. My recommendation. Uh, well, I've been listening to, uh, I've been trying to work out a little bit more because, you know, I put on some pounds during the pandemic that I, I think is hopefully relatable, well, not hopefully, but I think it's a relatable thing for a lot of us. So I've been trying to get everyone did yeah. and, and work out a little bit. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to sound like a straight blast from the past, but Pandora radio, <laughs> I've been listening to that again. And it's kind of powered me through that workout. So like what I would do is I'll go to my favorite playlist on Spotify, whether it's, you know, turn up rap, uh, oldies, you know, just a mix of everything. Uh, and I'll just put it in a little Spotify playlist. I'll find 10 songs I like, put it in a, uh, or Pandora radio list and it just spits out gems like all the time. So I have one list where it's just like all my murder rap that I like to listen to when I'm listening weights. And it's been one of the few joys that I've had, uh, over the past year, just kind of realizing like how good the algorithms on Pandora are. So I would recommend getting back to the Pandora music game. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. I like Spotify. Spotify gives me mixes based on what I listen to, which I yeah. like, um, I have, I have to ask you a follow-up. You've got, you have to pick one song to listen to during your workout. Like at the end, you've got one, you know, either piece of the workout or whatever. What is it? Uh, right now it's a 1017 freestyle by Gucci Mane, Pushaisi, Fujiano and Big 30. So okay, yeah, Gucci Mane, he's been like one of my favorite guys basically since I was like eight years old. <laughs> uh, so I, I still listen to all his stuff and he just signed like a whole new group of rappers for his label. So I've been spinning that and, you know, uh, it, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but it certainly is mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm adding that to the playlist. Mine right now is uh, the devil is a lie. Um, I just, I'm in that, I'm in that vibe right now. Okay. Here's my recommendation for you. You're in Brooklyn, New York, me. right? Okay. Oh yes. Sorry, Eric. What's what, Eric's a white snake fan. So we know what this is going to be. I'm not a white snake fan. My, <laughs> My I yeah, um, well, what is it? You can't ask. You can't say we skipped over you and then not have a banger. Yes, know the business is my song right now. Yes. <laughs> I know that's like way down the. I know that's like popular as hell, but it's I, I'll add both out of out of uh, posterity's sake. Uh, you're in you're in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Is that correct? That's correct. 
So I lived in Brooklyn for a couple of years. I love Brooklyn. Um, my favorite restaurant in Brooklyn, one of the reasons I moved specifically to a location in Brooklyn close enough to this restaurant is Caracas Arepa Bar. Have you ever been there? I have not been there, but I have to okay. check it out. Where in Brooklyn? It is. It is um, it's in Williamsburg, uh, okay. a couple blocks, like maybe four or five blocks uh, from the L, um, the Bedford L. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's cheap. People have been giving me shit for having recommendations that cost money. It's cheap. The food is absolutely amazing. Uh, and they have a coconut milkshake that they add rum to that's out of this world. Um, that's my recommendation for everybody in, in Brooklyn, New York. I would George, when, when we have guests on the show that live in cities that George admires, us living in Cincinnati, he o- almost always will, will like throw something in there about his, his jealousy. So that, that's George's like, I wish I was in Brooklyn recommendation. I'm, I'm people helping people. Powerful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Charles McDonald, senior writer at For The Win. You can find him on Twitter at Four Verts. I'll mention that again at the top of the show, I promise. We appreciate it, brother. Thank you for being generous with your time. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for having me, guys. Special thanks to Charles McDonald. Uh, that was great. He was so generous with his time. It was a fascinating conversation. I, I really thought it was one of the better conversations that we've had with someone. Um, And he's, you know, uh, look, he's one of those guys who's a fan of the Falcons, but he's not, you know, he's not pulling punches. He's not trying to be rose colored glasses. He tells it like it is. He knows football. Um, I I thought that was a great conversation. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought he was, he was terrific. Um, He, he was very, it's so much fun, right? With people who analyze the game for a living that also have fandom you know, where we, we talk at the beginning, it's very raw where he's talking about the Falcons and what they've meant to him and what they, you know, his, his feelings for them. And then in the middle of the pod, he can really break the thing down like an actual analyst that, you know, and I, and, um, and I think that that distinction is important, you know, and I, and I think it's good because I came out of it fairly confident in Atlanta. Like I think mm-hmm. in his, you know, a lot of fans are skeptical of their favorite team, I think, for protective reasons for themselves mm-hmm. or, you know, they, they, uh, defense mechanisms. But when you sort of pressed him on things, he was very positive about Atlanta. And I thought mm-hmm. that was helpful in a week where if you have some Atlanta futures, they might not have as much value as they did previously. Yeah, it, it's one of the things that I, I am thinking about now is like you saw the pain on his face when he said, I think they can be competent. And it's, that's the shitty part of being in limbo. Are you even going to root? I've, I've done this before as fans of teams, as a fan of the Niners. You remember this, like rooting for wins when you know that because of the construction, construction of the roster and, and where things are at, it's unlikely that those wins mean anything other than maybe the team makes a little more money this year. And um, that's going to be the interesting thing to watch with this Falcons team where they have so many players and coaches who are super motivated, but then, you know, how does that, how does that manifest itself in the future? So I personally, I feel great about the futures. I don't know that I feel great about the future of the Falcons. Yeah. So. I, I'm a, I, I bet a little saints under during this podcast. Uh, I, I gotta say, like, I, just I could don't tell. see it. I could see it in your glasses actually. Oh, I sorry. Yeah, I, I was reading, like, you know, I, I, I get that sense. We've done this together now long enough. We're, we're in the stage. At some point, we'll start hating each other like Golik and Greeny, I, I assume. But like now, I'm at the, now I'm like finishing I, your I sentences. I think we're more like a Kahneman and Tversky. Mm. But 
I don't know which one of us dies first. I, I think I'm the favorite, clearly, given, you know, Charles talked about gaining weight during the pandemic. That was You tried to relate to him, but, like, of course you couldn't. Um, yeah, maybe I, did, I could. Uh, I, I would say, but, like, I, I will say that. And they never ended up hating each other, I would say. One died, but, you know, we'll kind of, by the way, the author of the book that I recommended on Sunday. I, um, I did gain weight during the uh, muscle pandemic. Though. Uh, no, no, it, it was not. Um, I'm not gonna, it wasn't a lot, but like, anyways, um, that was our show. We'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, no, sorry. On Sunday. I'm going to get my days mixed up. We'll be back on Sunday. I promise. Thank you for hanging out. We love you all. Peace. <laughs>